Are you dissatisfied with your spiritual progress, feeling stuck without knowing why, even after deliverance prayers or years of therapy? Recover your dignity, find your purpose, and discover the thrill of walking with God once again. Explore spiritual consultations with Sonia at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Click Go Deeper on the homepage, then one-on-one, and find out how to cooperate more deeply with the Holy Spirit's action in your life with a spiritual consultation. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. Study Evangelista Show, and I'm Sonia Corbett, your Catholic Evangelista, in our Somata series on physical healing and faith. In our first show, we talked about how the body is meant to be the temple or the tabernacle of God. We talked about the creation of the body and where that occurred in the scriptures and how the angels are pure spirit and how human beings are body and spirit and how animals are pure body. We talked about the fall last week, the degradation of the body. And today we're going to talk about the revelation of the body next week. Well, actually we'll spend a couple of weeks on the revelation of the body because the essence of the revelation of the body is what we're learning right now from science about the connection between the mind and the body. And I think this is especially important because the church has the answers to these connections in a revelatory way through the incarnation, through the ascension and the assumption, all of those ways, we have revelation of the body and what God intends for the body and what he intended all along. And so the church needs to be out front in communicating the revelation of the body along with the science and what we're learning about that so that we don't fall into this new age sort of stuff um, that has been sort of trickling trickling in, I think, for some time. And so I think part of of what has been blowing my mind about this whole series is just seeing the wisdom of God in how he created our bodies and how he created them to know and love him, how they're holy. And so we should listen to our bodies. We're going to talk about that. I hope we get to that some today as we're looking at the revelation of the body. And ultimately, Jesus reveals the body. He reveals the purpose for the body through his incarnation. And so we could say that there is a sense in which there is a covenant of the body. And John Paul II coined that term, the theology of the body. And he did so because there is a sense in which there's a covenant of the body. This is my body. This is my blood, the body and the blood of the new covenant. So there is a new covenant of the body. And there are several stages of this. We're going to follow the stages that Jesus assumed in, first of all, the first stage, he took a body. He incarnated. He became a human divine being. He incarnated. He shows us how to live incarnationally, how to live in our bodies fully with health and life and vigor and vitality. 
Stage two was he bore our sufferings in his body, the book of Isaiah says. We see that when we talk a lot uh, at Lent, how he bore our sufferings in his body. And so they are his sufferings along with ours. Stage three is redeeming us through crucifixion of the body. We follow him in that stage as well in crucifying our flesh. Then he heals us through the resurrection of the body. And we we think when we use that term resurrection of the body, we're thinking last days, the the judgment day when we receive that resurrected body. But remember that the kingdom of God is now. And so just as spiritual, mental, emotional healing all begin now, physical healing also begins now. And he showed us that through the miracles of healing that he performed to demonstrate his, not only his divinity and his power, but it was also a communication of a message, a message of resurrection, of health, of healing. And then he nourishes us through the Eucharist, which is a pledge and sign of heavenly glory, according to Thomas Aquinas. And along with that sacrament, we also have the anointing of the sick. So he nourishes our bodies through the Eucharist, the sacraments, but especially the Eucharist and the anointing of the sick. And then stage five is that he elevates us through that final transformation, the resurrection of the body at the last day. So incarnation, bearing our sufferings, redeeming us through crucifixion, the beginning of resurrection and healing in the body, nourishing the body, and then elevating the body through that final resurrection. Those are the stages that we're going to follow today and throughout the rest of the series, as especially as we're talking about the revelation of the body, because the point here is that Jesus reveals the human person to itself. He reveals the body to us. He reveals the soul. He reveals how all of that works together. And so we're going to follow him in this revelation of the body by looking at how he revealed all that he revealed to us about our bodies. So Benedict the 16th, it was mentioned, uh, Dora mentioned it on the community that everything God did was to heal us. Uh, according to Pope Benedict XVI, and we're still looking for that citation, but um, he prefaced that statement with saying that our healing is the outward sign of the remission of our sins. And we see that starkly in his miracles of healing. He was showing us that our healing is full, and he did so through his miracles of healing, in order to authenticate that message sign. Remember back to the spiritual gifts, sign gifts are meant to authenticate the message and the messenger. So his message was that of healing and the church fathers are pretty clear that holiness, the process of holiness, the process of purification or sanctification is a process of healing. So then Christianity is a therapeutic religion And so everything then that God did was to heal us of our woundedness from the fall up to now. And because the kingdom is within us, it starts now. And that goes, that um, 
extends to our physical bodies as well. So even though we talked about this last week, even though the body ages, we should still physically be vital and healthy and in a state of well-being. And that is now, of course, because of the fall, that's not always going to happen. There are some organic physical issues that will perhaps not ever be fully healed until the resurrection of the of the body at the last day. We know from research that 80% of our physical issues are emotional, spiritual, um, emotionally and spiritually rooted. But that means that there are 20% that actually are organic. And that can be, it can be chemicals, it can be metals, it can be the foods that we eat, it can be lots of things, electromagnetic energy, all that kind of stuff from the outside. It can also be DNA. So 20% are actually organic. And some some of those, if not many of those 20%, they, they will not experience that final healing until that resurrection of the body. But that means that 80% of the rest, that there is a connection to the spirit and the mind and the emotions and by healing those, as Jesus said, we, we talked about last week, the light of the body is the eye. And therefore, if your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. So we see him already teaching that integration, oneness of our emotions and our mental capacities, our intellect and our will, along with our bodies, all of that integration contributes to the healing of the body as well. So that's what we're going to focus on in the next couple of shows when we're talking about the revelation of the body, this 80%, the 80% of our physical ailments and sicknesses and dis-ease and maladies that are rooted in spiritual, emotional, and mental issues. We're focusing on that because we want to integrate those things so that our bodies can be full of light. So looking at these stages through which Jesus reveals the body. The first stage is the incarnation. And each of us also, we could say in a sense, is incarnate. We all inhabit a body. And the body we know from the church fathers is not the container of the soul. The soul is the container of the body. So the body, we have this idea a lot of times, you know, we're dragging it around like a ball and chain. And it's just this, you know, this awful thing we have to endure. But the fact that Jesus incarnated shows us that the flesh itself is meant to also be holy. And it is holy in the sense that he received a body himself. So he elevates the flesh to this state of incarnation. And he bore all of our sufferings in his body. And so we too bear our sufferings in our bodies. And to begin with, those are usually, they come from outside of us. They are usually inflicted on us by other people. Our parents, our siblings, other people, they inflict suffering on us. And so we suffer in the body.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. Let's get social. I'm no longer on Facebook, so come and connect with me in the new Catholic Evangelista community. Visit BibleStudyEvangelista.com and click Community on the menu, or scroll down to the radio notes and click the link to our community. We're sharing pics and prayers, love the word takeaways and insights on the daily readings, and everything else social. Come share with me. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. Jesus took a body, or he incarnated, and then he bore all of our sufferings in his body so that they are his sufferings, and we sort of co-suffer, we could say. Um, One of the ladies on the community actually shared this in a direct message, and I asked her permission. She said I could share it, so uh, I'm going to quote her. As I'm listening to this week's podcast, I feel prompted to share, all of creation was made and is kept in existence by the word. In the fall, all of the consequences of the fall are held in loving embrace by the word. And we know this is true, first of all, from scripture, but also through science, because we know that there is a quantum physics theory that the Copenhagen theory that fit can fit a version of it can fit a quantum system of creation. I actually posted an article and some information in the masterclass on this in the very first section, because this is so true. What she says that all of the possible immoral and hurtful choices that every human being could ever make because human beings are conscious, they're aware. He made the the system of creation, time and space. He made that system so that it included all of the possible, what we would call errors. So the fall would obviously be part of that. And he factored that into creation. So he knew before even it was all created, that the possibilities for damage, we'll say, or a fall or suffering were, they existed in potential anyway. And so he factored that into creation. He, remember that he created space and time. So space and time are of us. We have physical bodies. We live in a physical material universe, but God is outside of that time and creation. He entered into it through the incarnation, but He himself is, he transcends time and space. So she says then that in the fall, all the consequences of the fall are held in loving embrace by the word. That's both biblical and scientific. She goes on to say, Jesus knew and experienced every single consequence of sin that has ever been and ever will be. And his sacrifice on the cross atoned for all of it. She says, my sufferings are not mine. Now I would I would argue for a little bit more clarity there because they they are ours, but I know what she means. She's saying that he had them first. (laughs) 
She says they are and always have been his because he bore them on the cross in full knowledge that sin would have me experience them. But it was never his intention that it be this way. So for me to suffer is nothing compared to his sufferings because it didn't have to be that way. And he felt not only the depth of each suffering of each person, but the reality that it could have been different. To bear a suffering for the sake of Christ isn't to muscle through it, faking a smile. It's to recognize it for what it is, a consequence of sin that Christ already endured and that truly belongs to him. It means to carry it for his sake, to alleviate his pain and recognize him in the cross, thanking him that he felt us worthy to bear all that for us out of love. Now, I love that because it's it's so incarnational and it invites us then and, and last week, we looked at this in a different way. We looked at it as understanding, understanding that God makes us better through our suffering. It was the pain that was added to it after the fall. But the testing, the learning was always part of the plan. But it is also true, as she points out, that he knew all that to begin with. He knew in his own time, Jesus, he knew in his own time, and I mean like chronological time, all of the sin and the consequences before him, all of the sin and the consequences that existed with him in his own time, and all of those that would come after, which include us. So she's right. He did. He he suffered all of those consequences for us ahead of time, ahead of us. So we then participate. We participate in suffering for us he participated in it first for those that were before him the the uh, patriarchs of the old testament jesus suffered in time after them but at creation he anticipated and knew it and i know all of this is so esoteric and it's you know hard to kind of wrap your minds around but it's really important to to delve into this philosophy stuff because it helps us orient our theology and our understanding of the body properly. We want to make sure that we're within the teachings of the church and what God has revealed in the scriptures and through the church. And then also what he is revealing now through science. Both of those are revelations. Science is simply the, the um, coming into knowledge that has always been present truth, the word, we could say, um, as Samantha says in that quote. But what I love about what she says is that he bore all of our sufferings in his body. And so they are his. And I love that they are his, his sufferings. He suffered them before us in time. He suffered them after those in the Old Testament. But either way, they're his. He took them on himself personally, all of our sufferings. So in a sense for us, he suffered first. And ultimately, then we are co-sufferers. That the suffering that we suffer in the body comes from outside of us first, because we're, we're, you know, especially let's talk about babies. Babies are vulnerable. They suffer when they lack food, love, shelter, any of that kind of thing, they suffer in their bodies, right? And that affects their development, we know. So they suffer, children, we suffer in our bodies, 
And then later we suffer because we sin out of those sufferings. So in the beginning, there is sin that is sinned against us. And then there is sin that we commit out of that suffering. But ultimately, all of our sin comes from woundedness. And so it can be sin that sinned against us. It can be sin that we have committed out of that woundedness. But either way, it's suffering. And because we all sin, we all suffer. And because we're all human beings and Adam and, and Adam was the head of the human race, we all suffer. So suffering then occurs in the body. That's my whole point. <laughs> Jesus took a body in the incarnation and then he bore our sufferings in his body. But then he redeemed us through the crucifixion of the body. And we must also follow him in this. The church fathers are very, very clear that the very first stage of the spiritual life involves the crucifixion of the flesh. Now, when we use the word flesh in this context and the way St. Paul uses it in his writings, because most of this idea comes from him. He says in Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are plain, immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not enter or inherit, I'm sorry, the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, we'll talk about passions and desires in just a moment. But when Paul talks about the flesh here, he's not talking about the body in the way that we're talking about it together. He's talking about this concupiscence, this tendency of the, the body to rule over the mind, the, the reason, the intellect, the will, the body, all of this is disordered. Now we looked at this last week, the order should be the intellect and the will, the emotions, and then the body. But it's all flipped upside down after the fall. It's the body leading the emotions or the emotions leading the body. But both of those are leading the soul, the intellect, the will. Uh, the emotions are part of the soul. I know I, I'm, I have confused some of y'all about this whole soul idea, and I'm sorry about that. I've done the best I can. It, this stuff is just so heavy, <laughs> and I'm doing my best to, to make it simple. But it's the truth is it's, it's not all that simple. Ultimately, though, I think we can all understand that the body and the emotions rule the intellect and the will where it should be the opposite. The intellect and the will rule the emotions and the body. Our logic should be teaching us and telling us and helping us do the right things. But we struggle against that. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he uses the word flesh. He's talking about the, the body, the, the desires of the flesh that rule. He's talking about this ruling principle of the body. He's not talking about the body itself being evil. He's saying that the intellect should rule over the body. And instead, the body rules the intellect. And the emotions rule the, the body and the intellect. 
whereas the intellect should be the engine. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spares That Taste Like Cake. Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. If you're tired of being harassed by anxiety, fear, and depression, if you're ready to end the constant drama and pain in your relationships and circumstances, if you're sick of pain and disease and constant fatigue in your body, you need the Sacred Healing Masterclass. It's packed with practical tools for healing anxiety and woundedness, 10 hours of biblical Catholic teaching on healing for the heart, soul, mind, and body, and the latest science in physics, neuroscience, and somatic psychology. Healing is your promise and inheritance in Christ. Go to BibleStudyEvangelista.com homepage and click on the Sacred Healing Masterclass for details on how you can be healed. You will experience healing through this masterclass, and what you learn will dispose you for love, heart, soul, mind, and strength for the rest of your life. point here then is that because Jesus redeemed us through the crucifixion of the body, we also redeem our flesh through the crucifixion of the body. And that's why Paul says that we must crucify the flesh. He says, all those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Passions meaning emotions, out of control emotions, and then the desires. What he's talking about here is what the church calls asceticism and detachment. They're talking about self-control. And the very first stage of any, of any spiritual growth must be this battle over the will reasserting control over the body and the emotions. We don't let the body and the emotions rule everything because they have fallen. And so we must bring the flesh back into subjection to the will and the reason. Now, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the body and there's nothing wrong with the emotions either. We simply need to bring them back into balance. We need to restore the order, which we do in cooperation with Christ because of his redemption of the whole human person in his own body. And so like Jesus, who crucified the flesh and redeemed the flesh and redeemed the human person, we also do the same thing. We must crucify the flesh, which means we get rid of the self-medication and the sin that comes out of these wounds. That's why we've talked about pop quizzes for so long in so many different contexts. Now, in the next Today, I hope we'll get to that today some, and then next week, we're going to talk about how to use the the pop quiz guide to help you work physically through your pop quizzes, because all of our, all of our suffering has a physical component, that 80% of our physical maladies that is rooted in mental emotional and spiritual issues, that's what we're addressing here. We're looking at our pop quizzes through a, a physical or a somatic lens so that we can listen to what our bodies are telling us 
about what the soul and the mind and the emotions need. The body cooperates in speaking. It cooperates in healing us. And so we must pay attention to it. But one of the very first things that must happen and, and this all happens at the same time, right? We're, we're working on self-medication. We're working on our need for love and where to get it. We're l- working on self-control and asceticism and detachment. We're working on all of these things sort of simultaneously through a pop quiz. That's why I had to revise that pop quiz guide several times to make sure that I was incorporating all of the, the parts of the human person, the emotions, the, the intellect, the logic, and the, the body and the spirit. And when you when you start to integrate all of those things, which is what Jesus said about the, the eye being single, the, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if the eye is single, the whole body is full of light. He Remember that the church fathers see that that lamp or the light is of the eye or the soul. So the soul then, the love in the heart, the personality, the mind, which is the intellect, thought and reason, plus the emotion, plus memory and will, all of that is part of the soul. And if the soul is single, if it is integrated, then the whole body is full of light. And so we work through our pop quizzes in all of those ways, because all of those parts of the human person suffer through sin and woundedness and the sin that comes from woundedness. So we have to have a strategy then. We have to have a strategy for how to crucify the flesh. And the church fathers are, as I said, they're very adamant that that is the very first thing that we must do. John of the Cross is clear on this too. In the night of the senses, he's talking about how beginners have to fight against this fleshly rule. The flesh doesn't want to get up every morning and pray. The flesh doesn't want to control its anger. The flesh doesn't want to put good boundaries in place so that we're not stuffing our emotions. The flesh doesn't want to be self-controlled in what it eats and what it drinks and how much it sleeps. It wants to be comfortable. That's called concupiscence. And so we battle that in order to bring the flesh back under the proper hierarchy of the human person. The flesh should never rule. The emotions should never rule. The intellect and the will are the primary driver, we could say, or the engine of the human person. So the very first battle in the spiritual life is the battle to discipline oneself for prayer. And so if you have no discipline, and most of us don't, we have to really battle to put that sort of habit into place. And once we have the prayer discipline in place, then the Lord starts to work with us in battling against the flesh. For me, that primarily took on battling against my anger. That was something that Thomas Aquinas calls irascible, which I'll get to in a moment. I didn't have, well, I did. I I had issues with my physical, um, like concupiscence too, but my biggest problem was my anger. And so that's where he began with me. But I had to have a habit of prayer, which is something, of course, he adds grace to our nature, right? But we have to fight that battle. We have to, we have to force ourselves and our bodies to cooperate with that habit of prayer. And very quickly, we realize that we don't have that capacity. We have no willpower. And so we have to rely on God step by step to add his grace. And that's what St. Paul means when he says, we must walk by the spirit. If you walk by the spirit, you will not 
gratify the desires of the flesh, he says. So those who walk by the Spirit do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So we have to walk by the Spirit at every single step. And that Jesus won for us through his own crucifixion and death and burial and uh, resurrection. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to fight that battle as well. We have to crucify our flesh. We follow him in all things. And so we must crucify our flesh as well. And Paul goes on to talk about these works of the flesh. And some of them you wouldn't necessarily think of being works of the flesh. But of course, because we do, we sin in our bodies, because our bodies do everything, then everything ultimately can be said to, ha- to be a work of the flesh. But when he's talking about this flesh idea, remember that he's talking about the concupiscence, the tendency to allow the flesh to rule when it shouldn't. So we employ then the strategies that the, especially the desert fathers, but the the church has given us for asceticism and detachment. Fasting is one of those. Um, But all of those sorts of strategies for gaining more control over the physical body. Now, my behavior, my anger issue came out through my body in my aggressive outbursts. But my body wasn't the main problem, as we'll see in just a moment. St. Thomas Aquinas, he talks about emotions as passions of the soul. And he says that those are actually reactions to something outside of us. So an emotion is a reaction to sensible or sensory information things that come in from the outside world. And he, he, he starts on that following Plato and Aristotle. He divides the human soul into an intellectual part, the mind and the will, the intellect, and then the sensitive part, which is in philosophical speak, it's the emotional part. Okay, so the ruling principle of the human soul is reason, and that's found in the intellectual part. The reason is where one finds the image of God, the Imago Dei. It's also the place, the reservoir of love. Man is supposed to rule himself through reason, unlike the animals who are simply guided by whatever their bodies want them to do, which Aquinas would call passions. So emotions belong to the sensitive part of the soul, the sensory. So emotion must be subordinate to reason. But just because that's true, it doesn't mean that St. Thomas or the church or God himself is condemning emotions. They're supposed to be subordinate to reason. But because we are body and soul, the emotions and the emotional responses are an important component in reaching our final end, which is God himself. Ultimately, The word emotion means e-motion, and emotion is meant to guide us to doing the right thing. The purpose of emotions is to help us execute proper righteous action. So that's what they're meant to do. Instead, in my case, they ruled the roost. I mean, my whole body followed, everything followed my anger. So we have to learn how to, to bring those back into proper order. Okay, and that's that's all Thomas Aquinas is saying. That's all the church is saying. Emotions aren't bad. They only become, quote, bad when they supplant reason and they control us instead of us controlling them. So properly ordered emotions are they're extremely important in leading us to love what will bring us to our final end, which is God. And then they also help us do away with whatever would prevent us from that same end, being with God forever. So reason is supposed to restrain and temper and order our emotions 
and our bodies, but they are very, very important in leading us to that beatitude that we're looking for with God. And because we're body and soul, they're as important as anything else. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. Why am I spending all this time on emotion if we're talking about the body? Because 80% of our dis-ease, our physical symptoms, our suffering, physical suffering, our sicknesses, all of that, 80% of that is rooted in emotions and thoughts and the spirit. So we have to look at all of that, all right? Emotions have to be educated. They have to be subject to reason, so that we can love and desire what we should and stay away from what we should, but we should never outright deny our emotions because they are extremely important. Emotions, he says, Aquinas, are reactions. They're changes of the state of the subject that are initiated by the presence of an option of an object. I'm sorry. So they're reactions. The the salient point here is that emotions are simply reactions. And Aquinas locates emotions in the lower level of the soul in the senses the sensory appetite he says they have a holymorphic structure that's a greek word that means highly meaning matter and morphe or morphe meaning form so think about a sacrament the matter and the form of something so emotions have a matter and a form as well where the reaction is the form And the physical part is the material or the matter. So we receive information and we have this reaction. That's the form. And then the physical reaction of the body is the material element. So then Aquinas divides our emotions into irascible and concusable, which are these are unbelievably hard words um, for us regular people. But the irascible is that kind of outburst idea. So crazy fear, crazy anger, crazy things like that. And then concusable would be the crazy flesh stuff, the carnal, the overeating, the sexual, the fleshly, those kinds of things. And then he goes into categorizing all of those. But we don't need to do that. All we need to do is see that our emotions are both body and soul. They inhabit both matter and form, which means they are psychosomatic. They are physical. We feel emotions because they're physical. They're meant to move you to action, which means if you're stuffing them, you're not moving to action. You're stuffing. Remember that the purpose of our emotions is to help us execute proper righteous action. So then our suffering, whether 
it's the kind of personal suffering that we do for ourselves in fasting and asceticism and those kinds of things, or even the suffering that comes outside of us. It's meant to help restore the proper order of emotion and reason. And in the beginning, that purification is personal, where we're lining up our bodies, we're crucifying the flesh, we're crucifying the irascible and concusable desires so that the body is free to do the right thing. That's why we're doing all this, because until the the flesh is crucified, the body cannot do the right things. The body is only interested in its own comfort. So the body then pushes us to do things that we know are not good for us. We overeat, we don't sleep enough or else we sleep too much, or we're over drinking, or we're losing our temper to the point it's going to give us a heart attack. All of these sorts of ways, the emotions kind of push the body and the body pushes the emotions, but neither of those is allowing the intellect, the logic, the reason of the human person to be in control. And that's the, the part that knows what is right. So we have to look at these things when we're talking about our bodies and our suffering. So as we talked about last week, our suffering, first of all, is it's personal to us. We're being purified of those carnal habits, those um, those emotional habits and those thinking habits that are not right. They're not according to God's word, according to his way. And they're fractured because of woundedness. So we, our thoughts are fearful and anxious and negative rather than trusting and full of faith. Our emotions are way out of whack where we're terrified and we're, we're angry. We have all this emotion that is not under control because it, it hasn't seen the light of the truth. We feel like we're unworthy of love. We feel like we're unloved. But the truth is we were created in love. We're held in love. We are moving back toward love. There is never a single moment in our lives that we aren't already loved. We have to come to that knowledge and that acceptance so that everything can be ordered the way it's meant to be ordered. We talked about this last week. But when we talk about revelation of the body, what we're looking at is the revelation of the connection between the mind and the emotions and the spirit and the body. Because ultimately, our physical symptoms are messages. They are our bodies trying to tell us things about our woundedness and our sicknesses. And that's why in redemptive suffering, JP2 said that in treating the human person as a psychological and physical whole, we cannot deny that moral sufferings have a physical or a somatic element and that they're often reflected in the state of the entire organism. So again, that's why Jesus says that the light of the body is the eye. If the eye is single or the eye is one, then the whole body is full of light. And so our goal then is to bring the eye into one, meaning the emotions and the thoughts and the spirit into one so that the body can be full of light. So it can be healthy and holy. And that involves the crucifixion of the flesh, as Paul says. And as we do that, as we crucify our flesh and we walk in the spirit, 
we experience the resurrection of the body beginning even now. And that is when the wholeness returns, the health returns, the vitality returns, where the body becomes full of light. This is the beginning of the resurrection of the body that will be completed at the resurrection on the last day. So it begins now. And it's nourished through the Eucharist, that pledge and sign of heavenly glory, according to Aquinas, and the other sacraments. We need to keep in mind when we are experiencing trials that it's not God that's doing it to us, but he is allowing it for that learning experience so that we can learn, so that he can elevate us even even better than we would have been if we had never suffered. Going back again to last week, James says in uh, chapter 1, Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his desires. That means that flesh and he is enticed. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, meaning there is no change. And so God does not tempt us. He allows temptation which should have never been temptation and wouldn't have been if there hadn't been a fall to begin with in the garden. It would have been simply testing. But now it is temptation and it's full of pain and it's full of suffering and we have to battle the flesh and we have to battle our thoughts because we see here that God doesn't tempt anyone. We're tempted by our own desires. It's our desires that are tempted and then we think about it And when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. So we can see a strategy here that we stop the temptation in the very beginning. We have to understand that we are crucifying the flesh. And when we are tempted by the enemy, it can be a learning experience. It can help us grow in grace. It can help us grow in virtue. But we have, by virtue of Christ's um death and resurrection and his redemption by by virtue of his redemption we have authority over our flesh we have authority over our emotions we have authority over our thoughts so when we're tempted we stop it immediately temptation always begins in the mind in the in the thoughts and so when we're trying to to practice this asceticism and we're we're crucifying the flesh or let's say we're trying to add a, a good habit a prayer habit or whatever then we have to begin with our thoughts because our thoughts need to be in control of our emotions. No, we're not going to want to get up early every day and pray. No, we're not going to want to battle the sleepiness of the body. But both of those are subordinate to the reason and the will by virtue of redemption in Christ. So we have control over those desires. And so it starts in the mind. You begin with the mind You bring the emotions under control, under the reason and the mind. Then you bring the body under control, under the reason and the mind. And then all of them are one. That's the goal. Now, this sounds like a very linear process, but any of us who has ever experienced a pop quiz knows that it's really pretty messy. So next week, we're going to talk about 
under revelation of the body, we're going to talk about pop quizzes and how to work through those physically in a way that listens to the symptoms of the body because typically those symptoms are stress and trauma related. They are trauma and stress reactions. So we need to address those and we will do that next week. Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com.